This is Barrett, and you're listening to So Good We Named It and More, the podcast where, um, uh, what is this? It's hard to explain. You're supposed to have a tagline for these things so people know what the show is about, especially in your first episode, but I'm not really sure how to explain it. Kind of like how Seinfeld was about nothing, but this is about everything. But don't worry, I'll for sure have a very professional-sounding intro on the next episode. Maybe. Probably. Well, anyway, get ready for episode one of So Good We Named It and More, featuring Haitian immigration activist, nurse, prosecutor, legal analyst, and social media influencer, Marie Pereira. Well, hello. Nice to speak to you live, loud and in color. And this is your first podcast. I feel so special. Yeah, I didn't even know how it worked. I barely know how it works. And this is my second podcast. So we're all on the (laughs) same page. I do appreciate you joining me for my first show on this podcast. You are the first. You always remember your first. And I was trying to think, who do I know that is fascinating and worldly and would be a great first guest for this new show of mine, and you really were like the first person I thought of, to be honest. I'll give the people a little a little backstory for uh, Miss Marie, because my parents are from the South. You can't call an adult by their first name. I say Miss Marie, or maybe Nurse Marie, or Marie Esquire. I don't know, whatever you prefer. But uh, I originally found you ages ago, because one of your daughters posted a video of you showing off one of your outfits and I just found it so amusing. I said, let me go be nosy and find this lady. And I found your Instagram. And it was, um, originally, you did a lot of, like, outfits and stuff from Zara, which I never really, I don't know if I ever heard of it or just didn't pay attention. But now I cannot pass a Zara without saying Zara in your voice when I see it. <laughs> I'm like, they need to have you as a brand ambassador. Like, I have been, I told you, I went in the store and Dennis Quaid was in there. And I kind of closed the door on him a little bit, but I never would have even gone into Zara if not for you. And I've been in there several times now because I said, well, let me see. I don't see anything for $7 like you see it, but uh, I had to go and check many times and you have your, your daytime cleavage, as you say, and just showing off your outfits. And I thought, oh, this is fun. Um, she seems like she is enjoying life. So I'm here for it. And then I watched the evolution and now you are a correspondent for Long Crime Network, which I also never heard of until you. And now I'm looking at it because of you. So you just bring people into new things. But for those that don't know, you're also a nurse and a lawyer. You got a lot going on. So I said, let me have you here to tell us how you became the you that you are today. That's a lot. I, I, I had to pinch <laughs> myself to see who is he describing right now. Do you really know how to take something and make something out of it. You have the gift of gab, for real, because I never even imagined that I would be described like that by anyone. Thank you so very much. I'm honored. Well, you are a social media influencer in the true sense of the word, really, because they have people to influence you to look at certain brands, buy certain things. And usually I don't really go for that because I'm like, you can't tell me what to do. But you were doing it naturally. You weren't hired by these places. So that drew me in. And if they're listening, I don't know if they are because it's the first show. Y'all need to hire uh, this lady right here. But how did it kind of unfold to where you kind of 
came into the spotlight? Was it with that video from your daughter? Were you already doing stuff like this? No, actually, I wasn't. It was from from the video from my daughter. And then that that video, I think one of them went viral. And then um, it, it just took off from there. But it was more like just to have fun. I, I, my prior name, it used to be Jacob's Glamour. Mm-hmm. And Jacob is my grandson, and all my little videos would focus on him and outfits. It was really just for fun. And then um, one day there was a crisis with some Haitian American migrants who were traveling from uh, South America, and they all ended up under the Del Rios Bridge in Texas. And I saw some video footage that depicted Border Patrol officers on horseback, what appeared to be whipping the migrants running around in the water. And it was like a big global to do. Why are these migrants being treated like this and being whooped and et cetera? And most of them were Haitian migrants, and I'm from Haiti. I was born in Haiti to two Haitian parents, and I came to America when I was like maybe around six. Um, I have three siblings, and my parents, you know, brought us here. So it it touched me to see Haitians being treated like that, and so I made a little video saying, if you're Haitian and you qualify for any type of immigration relief if you're under the bridge get in touch with me i'll I'll help you etc and then my daughter put it on her twitter page that specific video talking about the immigration crisis with the haitians under the bridge and that video went viral Mm -hmm. and as a result of that video i was contacted by i think it was pix 11 which is a major network up here in new york and they wanted to talk to a Haitian American lawyer um, about what was going on. And they found me on Twitter because the producer said, oh, wow, we saw you, you know, on Twitter. And that's how they located me. And from there, I did uh, maybe a 10 minute interview with a, a morning show. And then somebody else saw me on that show. And I kept getting calls from different producers and after that crisis was over, they learned that I was a prosecutor and I was a lawyer, of course. And I started getting calls about doing legal analysis on crime stories. And that's how I ended up on Court TV and Law and Crime Network. And on occasions, I'm, I'm on Fox. Uh, I've been on Newsy. But mostly now, things dealing with crime analysis that's Mm. how i ended up there so in in an effort to to do a good deed i ended up falling into something that i really always wanted to do but i didn't have the time i didn't have the guidance i didn't know how to get in touch with a producer how does it work because like anything it's a it's a closed society So just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean that you're going to be on TV doing crime analysis. Somebody has to contact you or you have to have a publicist or an agent or somebody that turns them on to you. 
And that contact is not easy as, as it sounds because it's like a closed society like anything else, you know, it, it's who you know. And so that video helped them want to get to know me. And that's how I, I ended up on Court TV. But I, I, I have to say overall, I've always been that extra person, kind of like you. <laughs> Maybe that's why we connect. <laughs> yes, kind of like you. Like, you know, you're that one where if you're not there at the family gathering, ain't nothing going to be fun. Period. Is that right? Yes. That's w it. Where's Bear? Why is it Bear here? Oh, don't worry about it. I know I bring the party. You don't have to tell me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. So I think in that sense, you and I have, have like a, a cyber mom, you know, son connection that way because one recognizes the other. Extra recognizes extra. And I'm that extra one. Like if I'm somewhere, like I bring life to it. I'm not trying to sit there and be bored. I'm going to stimulate conversation. I'm going to take a spatula and pretend that it's a mic. <laughs> that would be me. Exactly. Life is more fun when you're just yourself. You just say what you want within reason. And aren't so worried about, oh, how is this going to look? How is it going to come off? Because you're only here for a little bit of time. Might as well just do you and be who you are. And if you're really truly being who you are and you do have a talent, I personally feel like you will get to do something with it. Somebody will find you. Something will click, just like you said, because you weren't all out here looking for it, even though that's something you wanted. But it, it came to you. And same with me. A lot of stuff that I've gotten to do, it just kind of fell into my lap, which maybe we're just blessed like that. But I think the people that go out there saying, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It doesn't really work. It's not genuine. They don't really care. They just want the glitz and glamour. Yeah, because I mean, I remember ever since I was like a little girl, I was always in everybody's business. I remember even before I went to law school, I was like maybe six, seven, and my siblings would be getting in trouble and um, getting whoopings because we're from Haiti and they get that switch. <laughs> I guess I'm from so, Haiti too because I was getting whooped. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I I was always the good one, I, the youngest one, and so I didn't catch a lot of you know that. And I would see them getting in trouble, and I would pop up and say, "But why, Dad?" Why, mom? Why is so-and-so in trouble? And they would look at me and say, go sit down. Who do you think you are? What are you, mm -hmm. a lawyer? Mm -hmm. I was always that one getting in everybody's business. And my parents knew it from day one. So I guess I had that litigation and advocacy in my blood from when I was small. And my parents used to tell me that all the time. What, who do you think you are? Mind your business. Until this day, I can't mind my business. And that's how I ended up, you know, advocating on behalf of the Haitians. And it just reversed on me in a good way that it came back to me. Like you said, they came looking for me just because I was not minding my business. And, and about, you know, concerning what was happening with the Haitian people under the bridge being treated so unfairly, mm -hmm. in, in my opinion. I remember seeing that on the news and I... I, too, like to mind everybody else's business. That was the main thing when I was a kid. I was being told, stop being so grown. Stay out of grown folks' business. Well, now I'm grown, so I can be in all the business. But I feel like, you know, on a smaller level, 
I feel like I have to advocate for people that can't advocate for themselves. It's not that I like necessarily, you know, going off on people. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But also, some people aren't going to stick up for themselves. So I said, well, let me be the one. You know, if I have to cuss somebody out in the streets, which I'm not doing as much these days because folks are crazy. I am not just doing it for me, but I'm like, well, next time they want to talk to somebody like the way they talk to me and that person is somebody who cannot handle it, you don't know what could happen. They're going to say, hmm, I got cussed out the last time I did this. Maybe I'll be quiet. And that way it doesn't even have to go to that level. Or, you know, I've spoken up for random people in public, not only because I don't want John Quinones to come out and say, oh, this is what would you do? Why didn't you say anything? But also because not everybody has that in them to where they can stand up for themselves and sometimes I feel the need to step in. I was in Coles once and I heard somebody uh, going off on this uh, Middle Eastern woman and I was looking, where are they? Where I was trying to find them. I was about to set it off only to get over there and find out that they were all employees and I guess they were joking around. I'm like, don't play like that because I was about to flip this cash register over. Don't talk to her like that. <laughs> but it's just because people don't always get to do that, especially you know in retail. I used to work in retail and a lot of people felt like they have to take it. So I'll be the one, excuse me, ma'am, you can't talk to her like that because I know they want to say it. Now, I was saying it when I was behind the register, which I probably shouldn't have, but you know, sometimes you got to do that. And I think I, my mother always says you should have been a lawyer. I would have loved to have been a lawyer minus all the schooling because I think I'm good at advocating and I'm good at convincing people I'm right. And um, I'm a good liar, even though they say on TV that lawyers lie a lot. Do you find that to be true? I, don't, I think people see it as lying, but, but sometimes even if you know your client is guilty, right? Mm -hmm. And if let's say I'm, I'm a criminal defense attorney, and there are times when I've represented people who I know did the deed, but I'm advocating based on our constitution, and I'm giving them the right to a fair defense, which everybody is entitled to. So just because you're advocating for someone who may be guilty, to make sure that they get their due process doesn't mean that you're a liar. It just means that you know our system, how it works and everybody is entitled to a defense and everybody is innocent until proven guilty. So if you can present a case that injects some type of a reasonable doubt without lying, but just presenting an alternative point of view you want the jurors to adopt, I don't feel like that's lying and being deceptive. Exactly, and if, some, if I end up doing something, hopefully you'll represent me uh, pro bono because I ain't got no money like that, but I just feel like people don't think about that. Yes, we all think you did it, but the point is it needs to be proven that you did it. And if you cannot prove that, then you cannot convict this person. And people don't seem to understand that. So hopefully, I think it's too late for me to be a lawyer. I can play one on TV one day. Dick Wolf, if you want to give me a spinoff, if you're listening, uh, for Law and Order. But that's about the extent I could probably handle but what made you decide to be a criminal prosecutor specifically? You know what? It came to me um, because before I went to law school, I was a nurse. I was a registered nurse and I did mostly um, visits at home. I would see patients who just came out of the hospital who weren't sick enough to be in the hospital, but still needed care at home, like people who had big surgeries and they had wounds that were healing that still needed wound care or education on their treatment plan so that they don't end up back in the hospital. A lot of patient education and advocacy. 
and placing different services in the home to help that person safely remain at home. So um, my brother, who's an attorney, uh, heard me talking about going to get my master's in nursing because I have my bachelor's degree. And he was like, I don't know, Marie, you still have to take the GRE back then. And it's like three years of graduate school. Why don't you just go to law school? And then you and I can be like a power brother, sister team, because he used to do accident cases and malpractice. And he said, with your nursing degree and my, and my law degree, and if you get a law degree, we can open up the first you know, African-American law firm specializing in tort litigation, accident cases and personal injury. And he convinced me to go to law school. And secretly, I didn't want to go, mm-hmm. but... I told him, yeah, sure, you know, yeah, that sounds great. And then I applied, but I only applied to one school. And that's unheard of because nobody gets to their first school they get in. So you take the LSATs, the law school entrance exam, and then you apply to many schools. Mm -hmm. So I applied to one really just based off the location because I said, I'm just going to apply to one. I probably won't get it. Then I could just tell them I did it and I didn't get it. So I picked one that was close to my house. That was the Mm. depth of the investigation (laughs) that I did. So it was like a really low budget law school. When I say low budget, you know, they ranked them. It was no Harvard or Yale. Let's just say that. It was like on the bottom. So I said, if I don't get in, then I could tell them I applied and I won't be lying. And that'll be it. And I'll just go ahead and get my master's in nursing. So I applied and I got in. And how old were you at this point? I became a nurse when I was 21. Law school was maybe 32, 30. Oh, well, I can be a lawyer then. I'm 33. Let me go sign Of up. course you can. Let so me see who's I, the I closest applied. to my house. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, all you really need to get into law school is a bachelor's degree in anything. It could be like psychology, biology, math, physical education, mm-hmm. whatever. Just you need a bachelor's degree and a decent GPA. And then you take the law school entrance exam and then you apply. That's it. It's good to have a little community experience, um, community service, and things like that to fluff up your appearance to the people who are reviewing the applications. But it's not even really that hard, seriously. So you make you it sound so easy. Because it's not like you need a specialized undergrad. So you can get a degree in psychology or sociology or liberal arts or humanities, something, I don't want to say simple because those people with them degrees, they study just as hard. But to me, it's not that hard to get a bachelor's. And then you study for the law school entrance exam. You know, there are scores and the people who score higher, of course, are given more consideration. But it's not all that because you know what? My undergrad was in nursing. I had a bachelor's in nursing and health sciences, right? And then my grades were not like 4.0. I, I was just close to maybe like a 2.83, which is not crazy. And then my LSATs, the scores were okay. They weren't like, oh my God, the highest LSAT ever. No, but I was already grown. I, I was in my early 30s. I was already a nurse. So, you know, you have to write an essay about why do you want to go? So I just, you know, put in that nursing aspect and I want to help people, advocacy and I put together a nice little essay and I don't know what happened, but they looked at my application and they were like, girl, you in. So I started reluctantly, not even expecting that I was going to get in. So it's to answer your question with this, you know, long answer. It wasn't like something I had in my mind from day one. And then when I started, I realized I loved being in law school. 
It took three years. The third year, because let me circle back and remind you, the law school I went to was not like you no know, Harvard, Yale, NYU, nothing like that. It was called Turo Law Center. And it was somewhere out in Nassau County, Long Island. It was just like a low-key, not-so-famous law school. And so the third year, you know, it was time to, you know, st start preparing to study for the bar, graduation. And then you have recruiters that pull up to the school to interview the third-year law students to see, you know, how they could get placed and employment. And the district attorney's offices always send a rep to most of the schools but people know like out of courtesy they come to Toro but because Toro is I want to call it like a back then it was like a low tier law school they don't really hire new grads at the DA's office from those type of law schools they want Columbia NYU Yale Harvard you know semi Ivy League kind of vibes so they as a matter of respect come to Toro but they hadn't hired anyone from Toro third year law students for like I don't even know for how long so the recruiter came and I said you know what I'm gonna interview and I interviewed and then lo and behold they called me back for a second interview and then a third interview and then I got recruited by the Bronx district attorney's office to start as a first year assistant prosecutor and I think before me uh, no one had you know, for many years, gotten snagged a position like that out of Toro. So it was like, oh my God, the Bronx DA pulled one of our third year law students to do the damn thing. And so I, I, that's how I ended up being a prosecutor. Plan was I was supposed to go to work with my brother. But once you get a job with the DA's office out of law school, you can't say no. It's like everybody wants to be a DA out of law school. People from Yale, Harvard, Columbia, you kind of go through the DA's office to set up your experience in litigation. And then they you branch out to politics, career uh, litigator, or being a judge. It's like a stepping stone to everything great in law when you come from any district attorney's office. So I was honored, you know, to, to get that position. So were you still um, doing nursing up until then? Were you doing both? I, I was doing both because truth is I had to because as much as the DA's office comes with prestige, it doesn't come with money. Because I remember back in the day, I think I started the DA's office in 97 and I passed my bar, thankfully the first time. I didn't have to take it more than once. The starting salary for an assistant district attorney in the Bronx was $42,000. And this was in 1997. My salary as a nurse prior to law school because i was a hard working nurse i was making a hundred thousand dollars i didn't know nurses made that much maybe i need to be a nurse too <laughs> they work hard the thing mm. with nursing though is you kind of dictate your income because it's a 24-hour profession so if you're one of those nurses that are hustling and you can work you can either you know you can do two shifts you can uh, me I used to be a visiting nurse. I would work for different hospitals and sign up with them and they would assign me to go make the home visits. And you were getting paid at that time per visit. So let's say for argument's sake, you would make back in the 90s, $40 for each visit you made, right? And you tell them what areas you wanna work and they cluster all the visits in one area and you start, let's say 7 a.m. in the morning. You have to spend at least 30 minutes with each patient, minimum. Check their blood pressure, ask them how they're doing, 
check the environment and just make sure they're safe, they're taking their meds, they're eating okay, and all of that. Let's say you spend 45 minutes with a patient between the time it takes for you to get there, the visit time, and the time for the next patient, an hour. If you see 10 patients a day at $40 a pop, that's $400. And if you work seven days a week, that's $2,800. Is my math right? You asking the wrong person. <laughs> okay, $40 per patient, and you see 10 patients a day. You're making $400 a day. 400 multiplied by seven is 2,800 a week. And then you factor in taxes. You could make $2,000 a week. Times that by four. Well, my sister's four in school in to be a nurse right now. I need to go butter her up since she's about to be making some serious coins, it seems. Yeah, and that that that's the area that I chose. So I just used to see as many patients that I could safely see. Because you don't want to, you know, bombard yourself with patients mm. and you're not giving them the quality care. Conservatively, a hardworking visiting nurse could see 10 patients a day if they're clustered close to each other. Let's say I, I used to work all the projects in Brooklyn and people didn't want to go in the projects because back then it was like crack epidemic, this, that. So we used to have to go with a guard wow. of security to help us get in the projects. I never wanted to have a security with me because they slow you down. You got to meet them somewhere and it's just too much. So I just used to get dressed up regular and not look like a nurse and just go in the projects and see my patients and say, hey, y'all. And after a while, even if they knew I was a visiting nurse, they would look out for me and say, yo, that's, that's, that's the nurse, you know, sis, you want us to go up with you? And it was never an issue for me because I'm not scared of people. So I would have like one housing complex, start working at seven and just go like apartment 2C, 1F and see everybody in one building. And I'd be like, oh, you know, to answer your question. Yes, I did both because working at the DA's office would have landed me broke. I could not live for $42,000 a year. So I had to keep nursing part-time uh, or, you know, on, on the weekends, I would see patients. The lawyer thing was, you know, from nine to five. So after five, I would schedule some patients on my way home. Some patients that specifically needed nighttime visits, let's say if I had a diabetic patient who was on insulin twice a day, I would see that patient like seven, eight o'clock in the morning and then shoot to see the patient like six, seven o'clock at night on my way home. I was a hustler. And you had kids too. Yes, I did. Oh my goodness. How do you look so young? Because that all sounds very tiring. I'm surprised that you it, uh, were able to it, make it. It is tiring, but I had good support systems. I definitely had to have a nanny to take care of the children when I wasn't home because I was thrust into a situation of being a single parent in law school. I was married, but after law school, uh, things happened in my marriage and I ended up getting a divorce when I started working at the DA's office. So that kind of flipped my world kind of upside down. And it was crazy for a minute, but thank God I had support from my mom. And, you know, she helped me get a lady from her church who moved in with me, actually, and helped me with the kids when I was at work. And I just had to keep doing both though because the DA's office could not pay my bills. So I just knew I had to do nursing part-time to supplement the DA's office and then that's how it worked. You know, by the grace of God family help. It takes and a village how like they say. It does. It it does. It does. But I wouldn't do anything different. You know, after I left the DA's office, I went into criminal defense. I opened up my office. I actually went and started sharing an office with my brother who had forgiven me 
at that time. Well, I'm glad you came back to him eventually. I did. I I started working with him, and I had office space in his space. So practicing or just here and there? Yeah, mostly not. Like, I wouldn't call it practicing. I do more volunteering. I keep my mind active. I am a legal analyst, and there are people who contact me for cases, and I, I help people more than anything. I'm not like an active, active practicing attorney. No. Annalise Keating and Olivia Pope ain't got nothing on you. You need a show. <laughs> they need to make a TV show about you in the 90s, being a nurse, being at the, the DA's office, raising two kids. That doesn't even sound real. That sounds like too much. Because when I first found out, I don't know which I found out first, whether it was lawyer or nurse. I was like, oh, okay, so no wonder she's so successful. Then the other thing came out, I was like, wait a minute, how can you do both? Because I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing two, you know, major careers like that. I'm like, I don't understand. Is she doing them at the same time? Was it one than the other? I was I was confused because I've never heard of such a thing. And you make it sound so easy. Like, oh, yeah, I was a nurse. I was an astronaut, whatever. And <laughs> I, I just never have heard of anybody being able to juggle two things uh, so seamlessly. My hat's off to you. And, of course, it would be a black woman who's doing all this because, you know, the most educated in the country and typically having to work three times as hard. So... Of course, makes sense. I think that you need a book or something to inspire the young people out here. Well, you know what? Uh, I thank you for the accolade, but really, I, I guess I don't take myself that seriously. And even hearing you say it, I still feel like, I don't know, blushed, humble. <laughs> I just don't even take myself serious like that. It's not that serious. Thank God for my parents who, you know, helped me and inspired me because at the end of the day, all they had was prayers. They didn't speak English. They couldn't help me write an essay. They didn't help me pick a school. They just said, you need to go to school. I'm going to pray for you. Here's the money. I'm giving you shelter. Do what's right. It, it goes a long way. Prayer, support, and just believing I could. And they believed in all of us that we could. And they did what they could because my, my mother was not a college grad or anything like that. My father wasn't either. They, my dad was a factory worker. My mother was a home health aide, housekeeper. I'm an attorney and a nurse. Uh, my sister's a nurse. Uh, my other brother is an attorney. And I have an older brother. He's a, an engineer, an architect, and he's a PhD in music now. So, you know, with prayer, consistency, hard work, and, and we're immigrants. I, I don't take any of it for myself. I just say thank you, God, first, and thank you to my parents. And I always tell everybody when they carry on and on and on, oh my God, you're this, you're that. I, it just sounds so amazing on paper. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, it's just me. Like, it is not that serious. That's so, all. Thank you, though. I appreciate you. I, I think you. that's the attitude that's, that a lot of people should have because there's people doing a sliver of what you did and they think, you know, they hot shit. You can't tell them nothing. So I think that attitude is better. And I kind of, you know, relate with my other podcast and being on YouTube and TV and different things I've done. People are like, oh my God, you did this, you did that. I'm like, that ain't nothing. What's the big deal? So I guess when it's you, it's hard to see it because you're just being you. But other people, maybe because they can't do that, it looks so much more challenging. Like to me, the hardest job for me to do would be working at Starbucks. I would not be able to figure any of that out. Everybody get black Hell coffee. yeah. So we all have our own talent and we use them exactly. how we can. And I think that, you know, it is a story that needs to be told, even if it is just you being you. I think a lot of people would benefit from it because it drew me. And I see viral videos 
and all types of stuff. And I don't go looking the people up. I just laugh and keep scrolling. But it was something that made me say, let me find this lady. And I think that that's what they're seeing on these networks and whatever. And I personally think you would be a great co-host on The View. That's just my opinion. I don't know if you're Aww. listening, ABC, or maybe your own show. Because you can't be held back by four other people. You need your own TV show. Even if it's, you could be a, um, on divorce court or something like that. That I would love to see you on a judge show my goodness do you hear these cats the whole interview i'm trying to focus on you they scratching <laughs> moving bowls eating pardon me let me let him out because this is so unprofessional this is the first episode get out get out just hollering don't see this is why we can't have nice things okay i'm sorry we're gonna get back to the show now so and i'm gonna leave that in because this is life this is what happens i think that 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 would be you know, like how they, we have Star Jones and Sonny Hostin. I think that you should be right up there with them. And I would love to be on the show because I've been on two court shows now. So I might as well make it three. I was just on Judge Mathis. And I wish I had you there to represent me. I kept trying to object. You were? I was. I was on there a, a month ago. It hasn't aired yet. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Send it to me. <laughs> I asked him. I said, can I bring um, my briefcase maybe and uh, uh, an easel with a whiteboard and a pointer? All these props I wanted. No, no, you can't have that. I said, well, I have a gavel. Can I bring my gavel so I can object? No, you can't bring the gavel. I said, well, what can I do? I'm here to represent as a lawyer, but they weren't oh having God. any of that. I, I can't <laughs> wait to see it. You're going to have to send send me the link you know as I soon as they send it to you. On there. Mm. I was waiting for him to call me a crackhead like he does everybody else. But I, I did keep saying, I object, Your Honor. I object. He said, on what grounds? I said, on the grounds that she's lying. <laughs> <laughs> I try to, to get my lawyer fixed whenever I can. We did something at work where we were you know, doing a fake case. And I was like, if it pleases the court, I'd like to present into discovery, exhibits A through B. I have to get my little lawyer fixed wherever I can out there until I, I go to school. What if I really became a lawyer? You could say it's because of you, because I really was You know what? It's, it's never too late for anybody. So if my story could inspire someone, that'll be enough gratitude for me. Because like I said, I was a nurse when I was 21. I didn't go to law school until I was 30-something. And I didn't graduate until I was like 34. Anybody can do it. I did it uh, through a divorce. The first year of law school, I got pregnant with my second daughter. That was never planned. And I'm happy with my daughter, but it didn't stop me from completing my education. I didn't need to take a break or anything. You can do anything that you set your mind to it. And like I said, since I was a little girl, my family used to say, girl, you miss your calling. The legal analyst was in me. It happened now. And I'm in my 50s. Man. It's never too late. It's never too late to get your swerve on as far as your <laughs> dreams. I'm in my 50s, okay? I'm not going to say how far along I am in it, <laughs> but I'm there deep, okay? I still feel fly as hell. The hell? And you should. And you are. Y'all should see these outfits. I'm going to link in, in the description. Y'all should see <laughs> every day. It's a, the white toenails, everything. And and it's on uh, point. Don't play with me. They're not ready. They're not. Because they can't see you. But when when they go see, they go understand. I think that uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph comes to mind when you're saying all yes. this. Yes. And her speech. And I'm not an emotional person at all. Really. Like, I ain't cry at my wedding. I, I just, I don't do that. 
But I was getting a little verklempt, as they say, when she was speaking. I was like, oh, my God, that's right, Sharon. You better tell them because she deserved it because we knew who mm -hmm. she was already. You know, Moesha, Sister Act 2, all that. But a lot of people just found out about her. And she said, mm -hmm. um, even on the red carpet, she said, if you don't make it at 20, you'll make it at 30. You don't make it at 30, you'll make it at 40. And I think so many people get caught up on, oh, I'm too old and blah, blah, blah. You're never too old. Joy Behar was just saying on the video the other day, she didn't start in show business till I think her 40s or mid 30s so you know Cheryl's the perfect example just keep trying to keep believing in yourself and you can do it now can I be a lawyer I don't know because I'm not great at taking tests can I do a, a presentation maybe a project a video I don't know or go to California where I can skip all of that like Kim Kardashian <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that's what would hold me back because I used to work for State Farm selling insurance and taking those tests that was the most stressful thing I ever did in my life and that's just for some home and auto so if I'm dealing with real stuff that really matters ooh, that's gonna have me ball-headed maybe I don't know you're making me making me think about that a little bit think about it think about it because I here I am in my 50s embarking on a whole new journey of becoming a legal analyst and it all started with a little viral video that my daughter put on her Twitter page with me volunteering to provide help to immigrants. And it just went from one to the next to the next to now I'm a regular guest legal analyst on Court TV. I have a permanent day that I'm there and I have a permanent day with another network, Law and Crime, that I'm there too. I travel at least every two months and when I go, I stay at least a month because you don't go to LA and do that six hour brutal flight and come back in two, three days. I have things that I'm doing in LA too. And I could still do my court appearances from Skype on those TV shows when I'm over there. And I have some things that I'm doing over there too and volunteering with a domestic violence shelter and I'm a domestic violence advocate. So I'm busy on East Coast, I'm busy on West Coast, and I do kind of a back and forth. I want to say half and half, because my other daughter is here in New York. So I show love to New York daughter, LA daughter. But what about your I'm Chicago son? It. You don't come see me. You just skip over me, go to California <laughs> and New York. I see what we're on. It's okay. You know, one of these days, I, I've never been to Chicago in my life. Really? But well, if I do, if never, and if I do come, it'll be in the summer because I, I hate the cold. But I definitely would link up with you. You know, we would be like a whole vibe. Mm, and there's a, a huge Zara on Michigan Avenue. Just saying. <laughs> Listen, um, I'm not going to say that will never happen. Well, I'm not I, even going to say that. I will be waiting with bells on. But I think that, you know, Court TV is lucky to have you as their correspondent, as is Law and Crime Network, but you need to have your own thing and tell them I said so. Uh, one thing that I do want to do with this show, I really love true crime. And I do want to do some, you know, Barrett Investigates or whatever, because I've always, since I was a little kid, I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries on Lifetime, television for women. And I used to watch Rescue 911, uh, America's Most Wanted, and Forensic Files. 48, 48 hours. All of that. And I've always felt like one of these days I am going to solve one of these cold cases. One of these, I don't know how, or I'm going to see somebody on a wanted poster out in the store. And I've just always been obsessed. Are you into the true crime or because you do it for real, it's not as entertaining? I've always been obsessed. That's another thing. Like my daughter says, mom, this is your calling. Because I would literally sit here and watch all those shows you watched and speak to the TV. Mm -hmm. 
Like this was, but I just never thought in a million years that I would click on court TV and see my face in the box. And people would be saying, say, Marie, what do you think about this cross-examination? Like I still have to pinch myself to say, bitch, you did that. <laughs> like, oh my God, I still feel like that. Like I love crime stories. I, I love it. I'm obsessed with it, okay? They call me the forensic files lady in my family. Like, you never get tired of watching these shows? No, as a matter of fact, I don't. See, then Manny I and I watch it. that all the time. We used to watch Dateline all the time. Now, I had to stop oh, with the new forensic files because they do too much. I don't need to see the autopsy. I don't need to see all of that. Just <laughs> tell me the story because <laughs> oh that's too much. I, I can't handle that. Yeah, sometimes you need a break, though, because if you watch it, I used to fall asleep to it, and then you kind of dream it. It's not good. Sometimes, like anything, you need a break. But I love it. In my perfect world, I would be narrating one of those shows. So I was just going to say that they, I can yeah, see you doing that. Uh, yes. Like uh, Bill Curtis. I would Curtis. be narrating, yes, yes. Or yes. I don't know if you ever seen Murder in the Thirst with Lisa Ray. That's the I, type of show I, you, you know, should I used do. to see that show and then I don't I don't see it no more. It's on Paramount Plus, the app. That's where I watched it. I never heard of it when it was actually on the air. It only lasted a season, but I liked it because it was like a regular sh uh, crime show, but then it would cut to her like, girl, let me tell you what she just did. Yes, and I liked the little back and forth. I would love to do that. And then, you know, another show that I used to love, Snapped. Yes, oh Snapped God. as well. And a lot of times snapped. they deserved it. Sorry, but I'm like, well, that's what happens. So, <laughs> yes. you know. That's that's the next voyage in my journey would be to host my own crime show and tell the story. That would be like would my bucket list. Well, you did happy. everything else, so you're gonna do that too. Definitely, I well, think. Let, let's see. In 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 God's timing. You got plenty of time. You're still young. You're only in your fifties. I mean, look at uh Jane Fonda. She's about to be ninety and had just had a TV show. So you can do anything at this point. And I, I will Thank be watching you. it. Thank you so much. And for me, what I kind of, if I were ever to get to do anything like that or do it with this show, I, one, want to focus on the black people that we never hear about. Because if you're blind and blue eyes, of course, you're everywhere. But the black people, eh, nobody cares. And I want to be able to, you know, present that. And I really have a thing for missing people cases. Because I always just, like, the fact that you don't know. Like, it's one thing to know your family member was murdered or whatever but to not know anything like that would just drive me crazy and there's so many of those stories out there where they have the information like on the jane doe or the doe network and things like that but you never know what happened you know years and years ago and you still know nothing so that's what i really would want to focus on specifically and then the missing people's cases because those really fascinate me because somebody knows something it always you know shocks me when you have like a missing person case and then 20 years later boom they discover the person somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like Manny says, I have an obsession with a home invasion. I don't have an obsession. I'm just <laughs> aware that, and those that don't know Manny's my husband, that is something that can happen. I'm always like, you better lock that door before we wake up bound with zip ties in the bathtub. Like, you never know. You know, I've always, ever since I was a kid, I've always expected somebody to kidnap me, try to kill me. That's how you keep that from happening. If you're expecting it, the people that get killed don't see it coming. That's how they get killed. So if you're always looking around, like I don't sit to my with my back to the door at any restaurants, like something could pop off at any moment. And I want to be prepared for that. I believe you 100%. Sometimes with my daughter, she says, Mom, you you doing too much. Like, if if I see her with a friend and I sense that, you know, maybe 
they don't like her or the, I think the person is jealous of her. I'm like, where, where are you guys going? Oh, I'm going out with so-and-so and so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Make sure, you know, you, hmm, they're not just bringing you somewhere so they can forensic file you. Right. Turn your location on so we know where yes. you are. And I just think that's a, you know, it's not paranoia. It's just being aware. Like I don't walk around with headphones on when I'm walking the dog. I'm always looking behind me. A car pulled up slowly next to me. I was looking. It had nothing to do with me, <laughs> but what though we're not making it up people like you and i and i think we share that sense of urgency and Mm -hmm. safety and who's who we're not making it up all the issue we're talking about really happened right we don't want to be crazy i mean i'm always maybe investigating too much i saw a car when i was driving down the street and the back door was open and nobody was around i did a u-turn i came back i was watching i'm like what is going on it was a DoorDash driver that just couldn't close the door. But what if it had not have been that? And I would have seen on the news and said, dang, I could have said something. I could have stopped something. You never know. Well, I am with you. I, I am the one. You and I have that connection. I'm so glad that you invited me today I had to, to. to I share had our to. stories. Because they need to be heard. And I do appreciate you taking the time to come and share that with me and I hope you come back again because I need to know more. I need to know more about your your family's life being Haitian immigrants. I need to know about your next endeavors. I need to know it all. And when I evaluate my next uh, case here on the docket, I will definitely have you uh, give your opinion if you're available because there's some mysteries that need to be uncovered and they might be uncovered Absolutely. You know what? There are times when I appear on court TV, law and crime or whatever network to discuss a case and there are things that I want to say but I can't say. Mm-hmm. We need to have a case analysis maybe with you and I. Like yes. pick a case and then really talk about what we feel regarding the evidence, the crime, the witnesses in our own language, not court TV language. Exactly. My other podcast is, I mean, it's only about the Golden Girls, which of course I love, but I can't speak as freely on there because I feel a little confined within, you know, I, I know my audience on there. And I also know that a lot of them just want to hear about the Golden Girls. So even if we do go on a lot of tangents, I still try to rein it back <laughs> in and bring it back to the Golden Girls. But now I can say what I want, how I want and not feel that that I'm sure you feel when you're on those shows. So this will be the place where people can just say what they need to say, get off their chest. So I will be researching a case and letting you know and seeing when you can come back because we will be solving the case on here. And Let's definitely keep in touch and, you know, do a conference about because there's a couple of cases that I'm commenting on now that just make no sense to me. And I I speak my mind mm-hmm. to a degree because this is what I'm known for. And I think that's what they like me for because they've said that to me. And that's why they keep giving me appearance after appearance until they said, okay, we want you every Monday at a certain time on this show. Is because I'm that one. They say Marie speaks her mind. And they laugh at me when I sit, make a commentary because they say, Leave it to Marie to say exactly what's on her mind because I don't be playing with them either. 
But <laughs> it's still reserved. It's not really like I, what I could say. Right. That's what I tell people. Like, you think I'm outspoken? I don't say 95% of what I want to say. So if, if you think this Hell is yeah. a lot, just imagine what you're missing. Whenever there's like a big case and it's on YouTube in the very beginning, I always put my theory. So I'm like, I wanted to be out there that I knew this ahead of time before y'all did that this is what happened. And many times I'm correct, even if it's not exactly. a criminal investigation. And they're just like, oh, she went missing, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, no, her husband killed her. And then I come back, you know, eight months later. Yeah, and husband that's what happened. Her. So Exactly. Well, this was not the last you all have heard. The official legal analyst and courtroom correspondent for the So Good We Named It and More podcast, who will be back to solve many cases with us in the future. And where can people find you? Where can they look for you and check you out? They can go on my page um, on Instagram, the Marie Pereira. The T H E Marie Pereira, M A R I E. Pereira, P-E-R-E-I-R-A. I'm also on LinkedIn. Professional aspects, see what I'm about. And I'm on Facebook. Not a lot, but I do mostly Instagram. So that's where you can find me. And you can find me on Court TV. You can also find me on Law and Crime Network. It's on different streaming platforms, so you kind of have to look for it. But in New York, Law and Crime Network is on channel 678 on Files. Find me. Okay, and uh, Shonda Rhimes, we need to make a TV show about this lady, so go ahead and do that for us. <laughs> thank you. Well, Love thank you, you so, for okay? And I can't wait to have you back, and you have a great rest of your day. You too, my dear. Bye. Thank you for listening to So Good We Named It and More, part of the So Good We Named It Network. And be sure to catch the So Good We Named It Golden Girls and Golden Palace podcast as well. All 77 episodes now streaming. And don't forget to follow at So Good We Named It on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. Tune in next time for more So Good We Named It and more.